friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philibon. Welcome back, my dears. I just want to say this is the podcast where you just come as you are. You show up however you're feeling, you know, whatever mood you're in, whatever you're wearing. I don't know. Sometimes it's a weird time of the of the day, but I just like to think there's no people like show people, the podcast where you come as you are. Uh, I am currently sipping on a very cool iced Earl Grey tea right now. I am so excited for our next guest. I'm in a fantastic mood because if you have been following along this journey, I have talked about this person in not one, but several of these episodes. And we have been meaning to sit down and record this for you guys, oh, for like months now. And so it is finally happening. Uh, He is one of my best friends, such a genuine, kind, talented, handsome gentleman, Um, a ray of sunshine, the only person to have ever caught me in a cartwheel on stage. So like, guys, I literally trust him with my life. Welcome to the podcast, Luke Rose. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I wanted to interrupt the intro, but then I was like, oh no, maybe I shouldn't. But me and Sarah, every time we see each other and it's been a while, we always go, oh my gosh. The volume and the pitch just raises up. I know. And we're recording this over Zoom. And I actually really like, because both of us, um, we're just not afraid to be weird. In fact, I think that's one of my favorite things about you is that like, we're just both really weird people and, and, and we don't care. Like we just, we, we let our freak flag fly. We let the world see. (laughs) We embrace it it up, baby. Yeah. And so I love when you're fate, when you like get really close. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little away from the camera now, but I'll get closer. When point. you get really close to the camera so I can just see like your eyeball. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's so good. So yeah, Sarah, I have been mentioned in other podcasts as I've been listening and it gets really exciting. But I think it is the craziest thing that we were at Circa 21 Dinner Playhouse in the Quad Cities in the second floor of the cast house. And I was like, oh, if you, you don't know what podcasts are? And I was like and so I was showing Sarah and was like they're free you can just like listen to anything you want and like I was like there's a bunch of different theater podcasts and then Sarah comes back to me like a year later being like you're like Luke I've listened to like every theater podcast like every episode of every one that you told me to listen to and I'm like oh wow I said that's like that's like over a hundred hours worth of content maybe over 200 hours worth of content probably over 250 um but like yeah I mean I'm so happy that you've had such an awesome follow-through yeah so many I I know I don't think I listen to every single I I definitely listen to every single episode yeah that was maybe 
of Rory O'Malley's Live in the Dream. I think that was my favorite one out of all the Okay, yeah, yeah. all the podcasts that like you subscribed to me. I didn't even do it. You it was like after a show, it was yeah. like okay, and 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 I was like, "Luke, I don't even know what podcasts are. Like I don't even know what that is." And you were like, "Here, give me your phone. Like give me your phone." I'm like, "Okay." And you just like went under the podcasts app and you found a bunch and you just click subscribe to like a whole bunch of them. And then you're like, here, you're subscribed to podcasts. And I, like, just listen to them. Listen later. Yeah. Yeah. Listen later. I was like, okay, like, I don't know, whatever. I don't have time for this. Like listening to people talk like, oh God. <laughs> and now here, here I am hosting my very own podcast. Uh, this is, this is, I I think this is my first podcast yeah well uh i i started a podcast with my siblings that uh we're working on it so we'll see if we do something with that Ooh. that's all i'm gonna say for now yeah. it's oh it's, it's a little teaser yeah uh-huh it's about no nah, that's all i'm gonna say for now. <laughs> a sibling podcast teaser <laughs> yeah i got three siblings so it's four of us Okay. Well, and I have met all of them. And let me just tell you the, the, the Rose family, the, uh, the half dozen roses are a true delight. Wow. <laughs> like I haven't heard that. That's good. Yeah. Well, and the four of us, the half dozen roses. Mm -hmm. I, and I feel like it's crazy uh -huh. because for some reason, um, whatever, cause we, I don't even know how, I think we've done like 12, probably even more than that shows together. Yeah, I think, I think it's I think, all. You think so? I think it might even be more if we like added them up. But your family is so supportive and they always come to see you. And um, even if like we're not in, like I came to visit you when you were doing 42nd Street and your family, like you're, I still somehow run into your family every time. Did my, did my grandma accept your friend request? Or did you friend request my grandma? <laughs> Floro? Floro. Um, yeah, Flora's Road. I don't remember, but but I should. She better accept my friend request on Facebook. I don't know. She might be like, I, I don't really know who this is. Well, she you never met her, you know, never have gotten to meet her, but mm -mm. but I hopefully we are soon to be Facebook friends, me and well, Flora. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We have to give her the heads up. Well, tell, we have to know, we have to know where did you grow up? Where are you from? How did you get into theater? And what is the first show that you did? Okay, so um, I'm from Michigan, uh, from the Detroit area, like a half an hour northeast of Detroit from Harrison Township. Um, I grew up, I went to public school, um, K through 12. Um, I started singing when I was like, I remember, you know, in kindergarten and first grade, you just do music class. And so you get to sing in music class. And um, I had a solo. I got like my first solo when I was in like first grade. And it was just a very simple song. It's like, I can do it. I can do it. If I stick to it, I can do it. I can do it if I try. And we have that on video and everything. Um, and I remember being like, oh, this is fun. This is fun. Um, and then there was like the Christmas concert for the, all the first graders, like you had to be in choir, you were in choir. And then I remember after the concert, telling my mom being like, when can I get to like do the choir again? And my mom said, they don't have choir until fourth and fifth grade. And I was like, and I remember thinking like, oh man, I have to wait through second grade and 
third grade until fourth grade to do it again. And like, so I obviously really like singing that young. Um, and then, so then in fourth grade, I got to do, do that. I, I also did, um, I did like a select ensemble, like children's choir at the community college as well. Like I jumped super into that. I always forget about that, but um, that was for a year. Um, but then, uh, but then where acting came in, we had a drama club actually at our elementary school um, that actually disbanded in fifth grade, but in fourth grade, it still existed because there was a parent who was like willing to direct it and do it all. Um, but it was actually my dad uh, that my dad's really into Shakespeare. Um, and, and so he was like, Hey, Luke, I think like, you know, based off of my, what my personality was in, in, uh, in elementary school, he was like, encouraged me to to try out and stuff and I just remember him his his notes for me or his advice for me was was just ham it up Luke ham it up like go big with it and so like I think like the nerd I was playing like it was like a nerdy character that I had to read for so like I did like <laughs> a stereotypical lisp <laughs> for like the nerdy kid or like I don't know but um but then I got to do like these two little children's shows in drama club that year. And so that was cool. So then from there, like in middle school, I got to continue doing, yeah, like uh, choir and drama club and, you know, pouring into those passions. And I played a bunch of sports growing up as well and, uh, and whatnot in school and outside of school too. So that was a big aspect of like growing up and, you know, learning life lessons and everything. But uh, but in school, it was great to I guess I guess I consider myself lucky to be able to have like those programs in school to be able to do because those were those were huge. And that's I mean, that's why I'm doing this as a career, because I was so inspired through through the opportunities I had in public school. So um, but yeah, but then so then which led me to my freshman year of high school, I got to do. I had auditioned for like our performing arts consortium, which sounds way fancier than it actually was. <laughs> um, but it was basically a, like a, at the magnet school for the two high schools in our district. Um, shout out JPEG and the Pankow Center. Um, so yeah, so I'd get to, I did the performing arts consortium my freshman year. And then, um, and we like learned some choreography for like some of the songs that we were doing. And so it was like, I got to learn some dance and get exposed to more like dancing. And, um, and so then at that point I was like, do I want to like pursue this as a career? And I remember at the time, like I was finding on uh, like, so this was like 2007. And so like YouTube was new and there started being videos. And I remember Andrew Keenan Bolger, um, it's, it's the brother of Celia Keenan Bolger, either, maybe, you know, one of them, people know one of them or the other. Um, but Andrew Kienbolger went to University of Michigan, um, and you know me being from Michigan, uh, our family was big U of M fans, and so I was like, "Oh, University of Michigan, like their musical theater program, super cool." And like I saw these videos of like musical theater people, and I remember that was like a spark in my mind of of like, "Whoa, that's so interesting!" Like they're like singing like they're talking, and like I was like. I like that. It's like, they're just like bringing their talking to life through music. Like, and they they were like singing like contemporary musical theater stuff, like whatever was contemporary in the, the early two thousands. And, but it was just, 
really intriguing. And I was like, and you can make, so they're majoring in that in college. I only knew about like lawyers and doctors and like you major in math or science or like biology, like whatever you major in or English. Um, but you can major in musical theater. Oh, maybe I could do this. So that's when, that's when I was like, um, I, I decided or got advice to like, Hey, you should maybe start some dance classes if you, if you want to do this. So I got to start, uh, taking some jazz and tap when I was like 15 and did that. Like, I forget if it was once or twice a week, um, during the school year. And so that was amazing. And then, yeah, I guess, sorry, I've been like telling you my whole journey, um, <laughs> but yeah. So then that's basically all the, how the triple threat aspect of like, not, I was going to say what I am, or at least what I try to be, uh, came about. Um, and yeah. And so then I went to Wayne state university in Detroit. It was a straight theater program, but I knew that like, that like I wanted to do musical theater and we can get into that too. If like we want to discuss like college stuff and like, I really wanted to go to musical theater. I obviously wanted to go to U of M. I got to audition for them, but you know, that year, Michigan was typically taking like 10 men, 10 women, or 10 boys, 10 girls. Um, and my year, they took 15 guys and 12 women because it was like such a competitive year or something. So um, yeah. Did I answer to the initial question? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Well, and it's funny that you say that because I, you know, looking back to my high school years, um, I applied for five schools for musical theater. Some yeah. kids apply for like 20 schools, which I think that is very ambitious and also very time consuming and a lot of money, like very expensive. Yeah. yeah. I, I picked five. I applied for five and I think I got into four out of the five, but I didn't get into my number one, my top school. Oh, dang. I know, which was University of the Arts in Philadelphia. That was like my number one school. It was- yeah you know, it was a major city, a musical theater program. It was only a three hour drive. Like I didn't want to go super far away from where I grew up in Maryland. Um, and I didn't get in. And I remember getting my rejection letter and being, you know, 18 year old Sarah being devastated. Like, I'm I'm, sure. oh my God, devastated. But I will tell you, like, I'm glad that like everything happens for a reason and everything works out the way that it's supposed to. And I got into Shenandoah, which was my second choice. And, yeah. I, and I ended up getting a half, so like a half scholarship. So half of my tuition was paid for. And so I'm so grateful that I didn't graduate in like over a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt. Yeah. That's, that's something, that's something that I'm realizing too, of like, I remember my dad saying, saying, Luke, yeah, like University of Michigan, that's going to be a lot of money. And I was an in-state kid. Most of the people who do musical theater at University of Michigan are out, are out of state, having out-of-state tuition. Like, mm -hmm. well, like, and I was like, but dad, like if I go, like, like uh, that'll help to set me up and like get, get really good training in this and that. Um, but what was the point I was going to make with all that? Um, oh yeah. In terms of like coming out of school with debt, like I realized um, I had some scholarships as well at my school. Um, I was able to, because I had not as much, much, I was able to just become debt free, which is mm -hmm. exciting. Amazing. That's a cool 2021 thing. Anyways, yeah. um, like, thank you. Thank you. But I was like, it's interesting. I feel like I have a good 
solid restaurant job here in New York that that brings me in a good amount of money and I keep my rent low. And so I was like, I feel like I could have paid this off sooner. And I was like, why didn't I? And I realized, well, it's because I was living out my dream. Like, and so like, I'm sure for you, like if we're, we're making these like small paychecks or smaller, we're getting paid to do what we love, which is amazing. But like, we're getting these smaller paychecks. Um, thankfully, you're not typically having to pay the rent because all these theaters are providing housing for us. But like, if you're graduating with 60, 80, 100,000 or more dollars of debt, like that is difficult to pay off. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it really with, is. With, with, with making a theater salary, like, right. Cause you can many, there's many side jobs. Like if we just go with the stereotypical restaurant job, like if you're getting some good tips that you're at a good restaurant, like you, you make more money, more money. Like, even though I'm not paying rent when I leave New York and I sublet my apartment, um, I'm not actually saving as much money. Like when I live in New York and I work in New York, I'm saving more money than when I don't pay rent and I go off and do a theater job. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But, but it, I mean, it makes sense to me. It makes sense though. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. So yeah. where were you? Um, I feel like we got to talk about <laughs> the big P word, the pandemic. Let's talk oh, about that. Oh, shall we? Oh no, no. God, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> where, were um, you, where were you when the pandemic started and, and how has your, because I know you went home for a while to Michigan. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, I was in New York. Um, I, <laughs> um, I kind of got a little, I kind of got a little sick right before. So like, like I said, I was in New York. I got a little sick before everything shut down in mid-March in New York. And I remember telling my roommates, I was like, Hey, I don't think it's this coronavirus. Like, I think I just have like a winter fever, which it was very possible. But when all the articles started to come out about like, yeah, the virus is probably in New York in like early January, if not December. And I was like, then that is very possible that I might've had it. Um, so I've been wanting to get tested for antibodies to see if, if the antibodies are still there in my body. But, um, but yeah, restaurant shut down. Like there was an email that came out on like the Saturday night. We shut down like the day before they they gave the mandate for the restaurants to, to close, uh, to close indoor dining. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I just feel like at the time after things closed, I was like, cool. I was like, well, cool. This will open up my free time to make sure I get to all the auditions this, this upcoming week. And then slowly but surely, like from like Sunday, the, what was that? Like Sunday, the 15th of March into Monday, the 16th and Tuesday, like all the auditions were canceled, 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 postponed, canceled. And, uh, and so then it was like, cool. I don't have a job. I, uh, there's no auditions, which is the main reason why I live in New York to have the access to these auditions. So then I was like, I feel like there was also like whispers of like, oh, maybe they're going to shut down interstate travel. And so then I was like, you know what? Uh, my roommate was going back to his family in California. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my family in Michigan. So I got a cheap flight back with like, I was only going to be gone for 10 days, going to come back. My birthday's the end of March. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll go home, get to spend some time with my family, and like celebrate my birthday at home with my family. I haven't done that in like a few years. 
And, um, and then I postponed my flight, postponed again, canceled my flight. Thank you, Southwest, for being amazing with change fees and free check bags. Look into Southwest if you haven't, people. Um, but uh, yeah, and so uh, I ended up being in Michigan for like five months. Uh, come summertime, had to buy just some stuff. I had like only one pair of shorts with me and like a few t-shirts. And so like I, because that was just my circumstance. I was just, I don't know, stuck in Michigan or just waiting to go back, finding the right time. I was like, might as well spend time with my family and and have like the space of Michigan um, so, so it was great. I, I mean, in terms of, um, theater, I had booked, I had booked a gig, uh, at the, like, I looked back at my emails. It was like the first week of March. I had booked a gig, um, that was going to be in Oct- September, October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously we're past September, October. Did it happen? No, it did not. Um, despite it being in a more rural area, um, so that was exciting. Um, yeah, I was going to get to play Sherlock Holmes. So that was super cool. Um, that is really cool. But yeah, but that, so that fell through for me. That's an example of an actor losing, losing work. Um, but yeah, I feel like I gained a lot of other, I like the, I like this as a question to ask people like this year of like, like, what have you learned from the pandemic? What have you learned about yourself? Um, and I feel like I've learned the value of work and what like what work does for a person and how it can give you uh like value in your life and also like it's the idea of like work and rest balance like I was like resting having so much time for rest and to do whatever I wanted Mm -hmm. but rest loses its value when there's no work that tires you out or like or no work to be done, or like, especially if you enjoy your work, like you're, you're not getting to do something you enjoy. So it's like, I learned the value of work and what it means. And like, you know, I was able to get unemployment, but it's like, that's great, but I want to do something. I want to get on my feet, like do things. So yeah, I got really financially educated as well. That's a big aspect of what I'm concentrating on right now. Um, investing because it's, as theater artists, you know, we don't necessarily have 401ks. I mean, we do have 401ks with the unions and whatnot, but if you if you continue to stay a non-union actor, like, no, you don't really have a 401k. So um, so you need to look into like getting an IRA, an individual retirement account and all that. Yeah, you could just tell, like <laughs> brainwash myself in terms of <laughs> investing, but it's not brainwashing, it's real. Like you really should Smart. invest, especially for those of us in like our 20s and early 30s, like, do it now because we have the gift of time and being young and that's an asset that no one can take away from us now so right um yeah anyways we could talk about that if we wanted but that's <laughs> that's boring um <laughs> but it's important like i said it's important. yes well it's very important it's very responsible it's very sensible um and mm-hmm. i think the older I get, the more I am drawn to sensible, stable choices in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. cannot say that of my 20s, but of my 30s, I can definitely say <laughs> doing a much better job. <laughs> yep. Yep. Like, well, you, you've always been pretty good with like, not like going out to like the bar in whatever city we're in to like, 
like on a Sunday night. Now we say Sunday night, like who goes out to the bar on Sunday night? But for remember, theater actors, we have Mondays off. Mm -hmm. So it's like, that's the night to go, which is great because not a lot of other people are there. So it's like, you get the whole place to yourself. And if it's a small town, then it's like, we get to control the music on beatbox. We get to do whatever we want. Um, but yeah, you can definitely like waste away your money with that kind of stuff. Or especially like when you open the show, you then all of a sudden have this like the vacuum of time opens up and you have like so much extra time in your day that you could spend on things or yeah spend your money frivolously or whatever so well and, and I will say, like you and I we have lived in a couple of different cast houses together and yeah. I know um so one of the little theater summer seasons our rooms were right next to each other and then uh when we did Elf at Circa our rooms were right across from each other <laughs> so yep, yep. we always knew each other's whereabouts like what are they and I was always clat like this is classic Sarah Philobom living in a cast house. She very rarely does not go to the bar. And if she does, she's probably not, she's either like not drinking or she's drunk. And I'm sober now. Like I don't, I don't drink anymore for yeah. any reason. Um, but, and then she's usually, a, you know, in the morning when everybody sleeps until noon, uh, I am almost always was the first person awake because like I had things to get like I need to go to the coffee shop I need to go to the gym I need to take a shower I need to work on whatever I need to work you know like auditions or video submissions or my website or my you know what I mean like I have I've got stuff I need to get done before the shows yeah and then you would get back from your errands or your like great schedule and it'd be noon or one o'clock. And um, you'd say, how's your day been, Luke? And I'd say, I just woke up 15 minutes ago. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm getting better with my, honestly, I am getting better with my sleep schedule and realizing that that's another lesson I've learned is that I do, I am productive. I do feel productive at night when there's nobody around and I can concentrate and it's just like quieter and I can do whatever I want. But the power of knowing that whatever you don't finish tonight, you can do tomorrow, you know? Right. And so, and so if it's, if it's like, if it's like, oh, I feel really productive from midnight to 3 a.m. Well, why don't you go to, and then, and then sleep till 11. 11 a.m. Well, why don't you just go to bed at midnight, wake up at 8 a.m. like everyone else or a lot of other people, and then do that three hours of whatever you're doing from midnight to 3 a.m. and do it from 8 a.m. to what's the, 11. Mm -hmm. And it's Smart. like, oh, very interesting. Very smart. Well, and I have an almost two-year-old. And so let me tell you, I'm up every single day between seven and seven 30. And yeah, I'm like, you have to match up with her. You have to match up with her. <laughs> I know. So now I like really try to be in bed by 11 o'clock, but that usually doesn't happen. Usually it's more like 1130 midnight at the latest. Um, but seven, seven 30 is or, like in a perfect world. I would like to wake up at 9am. That's like my time to yeah. I'm like, oh, this first hour and a half of the day. I'm like, mama's not awake yet. <laughs> He's still half asleep. <laughs> so anyway, back to back to the theater. Theater. 
That's the, that's the theater. So I tell our listeners, how did you get your equity card? Oh yeah. Um, so it's almost been, uh, two years. Yeah. Here's my newest equity card. Oh um, my God. Did He's you know literally that... holding up his equity card. <laughs> <laughs> it was only on my desk and you brought up the question. That's the only reason I'm holding it up to a podcast that doesn't have video. I'm I know. Okay. Mind. You are the only person on this podcast so far to hold up your equity card in the middle of this interview. <laughs> no, no. I love it. It's not like that. No, he's very um, legit. It's not like that. I was very, <laughs> I was trying to see if there's like a member since thing, but there's not on the card. Um, but I was like going to say, I, I've been a part of, I've part of equity for t- like two years now. Wow. which is crazy. It's just 2020 is such a blip. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, uh, the way I got my card um, was kind of a hybrid way. I got it from a contract, but I also got it from points. So basically um, started getting some, some equity points uh, to be a part of the EMC program, the equity membership candidate program. I believe that's been explained enough on the podcast for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and so I started getting my points. Um, I think w- while I had started earning the first bit, I think um, I think that's when they had moved it down from 50 points to get your car to get your equity card down to 25 with the option to continue on and earn points and give yourself more time to build your resume and career and whatnot. Um, which I think is smart. I've seen, there's, there's lots of pros and cons with that whole decision um, on both sides. Um, but uh, yeah, I started earning points and then um, they had a contract of getting to do Buddy the Elf, play Buddy the Elf at a fireside um, dinner theater up in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And um, so like I was booked for that and so I was going to be able to I was going to be doing that that was going to be my first equity contract and but I had I was at like the 40 point mark as well and so I did this summer I think I yeah I did the summer at Little Theater and then I was coming back to New York for like six weeks um, for like all of September and a bit of October and then I was going to go off to Wisconsin but I knew that but I was in that middle ground of like, okay, I'm about to do my first equity contract. So I can't, I know I won't be able to, all the auditions that were happening in that fall, I couldn't start to go to non-union auditions because I knew I was going to join. So then I was like, okay, so I think what I need to do is cash in my points and try and become an equity member now Mm -hmm. so that I can start to do equity auditions in knowing that I will be come January for sure be an equity member. So you know what I mean? How I say like, it was a contract that was pulling me into equity that was turning, getting me my equity card, but then I had the points. So in order to do auditions and start to like plan ahead, I ended up redeeming my points. Right. Very interesting way yeah. about it. Yeah, so um, it was kind of like a like a hybrid of-, of Yeah, of- like, I mean, it would have been, yeah, it would have been unfortunate if I was under 25, cause then it would have been like, oh shoot. I know I'm about to become equity like come January, but like, I wouldn't have been able to like, you know, get on the, like get appointments or any, like get on the equity alternate list at, at EPAs and whatnot. Um, 
or get into the equity groups for like ECCs and whatnot. So, so I was grateful for that. Um, yeah. I mean, earl- earlier on, like two years before that, I actually was offered it for, on a contract. Um, and this is before I had any points and I was just thrilled. Um, this was at, uh, for Pioneer Theater Company getting to do, um, the Will Rogers Follies. I was one of the Wranglers, amazing contract with amazing, uh, amazing friends I made from that and colleagues. So, um, but yeah, they, they called and offered me, they, they said, ah, they, and I was like super hyped that I was getting the offer. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to get to earn some, some, some EMC points. And, and I, so I confirmed that on the phone and, and then the, the company manager was like, was like, yes, that's, that's a possibility, but I also want to throw something else at you. He said, he said, um, we can like, you know, and gave the whole deal and basically was like, and by the end of this, we'll give you your, your, uh, your equity card. How does that sound? And I was like, whoa, did not expect that. And I was like, yo, I've only been out of school for like two and a half, three years. It was like, it was like still building up my resume and whatnot. and wanted to just get more experience. And um, so I said, that's cool. Is the EMC option still open? He, and like, this dude is like, you know, more on the, like the, the like company management side, like from a business aspect, it's like, he's giving me a, a promotion. So why wouldn't I take the promotion? But the thing is in, in the theater industry, that's not just a promotion. Like, it's not just that. Sure. You might be getting paid more money. Like that's a big career decision to like decide to join the union and all that that entails just because like, you know, you're jumping in with like a big pool of people of everybody who is on Broadway, everybody who's ever been on Broadway um, and whatnot. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that you have struggled with when it comes to this career? Um, I'm saying probably um, kind of letting go, uh, kind of dialing in on my type a bit. Um, having the whole buddy the elf thing I've, I've gotten to play the role like three three years i got to do it three years in a row at three different theaters which is amazing and and it really is like i connect with the role so well and it fits me so well i connect with buddy the elf so much um and like realizing that you know when i'm in high when i was in high school you know when you do get to be like like most of us people who are consider ourselves professionals now like we're like the big fish in a small pond when we're in high school and so a lot of times it's like you want to cast the big fish like in like the lead roles and stuff so I got to play a lot of like the lead roles and whatnot but it's like realizing that I don't necessarily fit all of those lead roles and types of things that I would be casting in high school and like coming to realize that and being like my type and how people see me is different from like the necessity that that was in high school, like the necessity that it was to cast me in a certain role. Um, so like coming to discover those things about myself and like, and what I offer the industry in that way is interesting. Um, yeah, that's been an interesting journey to kind of let go of some of those past ways that I like, you know, view myself. Right. Yeah. Well- 
Yeah, and I, I think it is tough sometimes when as a performer, you can do so many different things and you are so well-rounded and multi-talented. And so sometimes you're like, I don't really know, like where, 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 how do I, where do I fit in this show or where do I fit in this business? I mean, I felt the same way because yeah. especially, yeah. you know, as a woman and um, I think so much, and I, I do think that the world, the theater world, when it comes to this is changing a lot. Um, I think we have, definitely we can go further with this but as a female I never really knew where I fit in because it's like I wasn't really like old enough to be the character actor but I wasn't like young enough or you know petite enough to be the ingenue and I never really wanted to play those parts anyway because a lot of them are very one-dimensional and so but I could dance really well but I could sing but like I was and I I talked a lot about this um with with Jamie Finkenthal uh, on our episode. Oh yeah, I'm sure. It's like as a woman, you know, if you're not a size two or a size twenty two, what if you're a size twelve? Like, where do you fit? You know how like where yeah. like literally. And I just I feel like there there definitely needs to be. I think we all can agree there needs to be a lot more diversity when it comes to casting. Um, yeah especially with race, with age, with uh, disabilities, uh, gender, you know, like um, size, like there's so many different things that, I mean, and like, that's a big thing that I want to see change is more, more diverse stories being told by diverse people because like more representation. For sure. You know, in terms of that, of like having opportunities, something I've realized is how like, the one of the one of the best um a great way of like uh, sorry ensembles ensemble work is a great way because you do want a really diverse ensemble uh, for for a, a number of shows like and it allows for it allows for more diversity in the ensemble because you want it to look you don't want that to look like um one note of whatever it might be and so I'm like I'm like wow it's it really does help to have like a little bit of dancing experience or you know a lot is obviously great as well and to be able to like be willing to audition for the ensemble and to be in the chorus um because yeah if sometimes you feel like just with the the current current repertoire or or you know, I guess maybe maybe less of current, more of like golden age repertoire. Mm-hmm. It might be it's a little bit more limiting on term in terms of character types. Right. And so it's like the ensemble is where it's at to offer like so many different types of people, like those opportunities. And I'm like like coming from a straight theater program, I'll always go back and I'm, and I'm like, oh yeah, shoot, I forgot. I've just been grateful enough to be doing like musical theater stuff since being out of college but this is a straight theater program I was like oh no like all of my all these people graduating like I hope that they can sing a little bit and do like some musical theater because and do some dancing because like I feel like that opens up so many opportunities Mm -hmm. um to be able to do ensemble work I don't know, I'm kind of blabbering on, but yeah. yeah. No, well, and I know, like, I talked a little bit about, you know, thing, and I feel like I could talk 
a lot about things that I would like to see change on, you know, many different aspects and different sides of this business. But I'm curious to know, especially like once we come out of this pandemic, how do you want to see the world change? Yeah, I mean, yeah, with with uh, allowing for more diversity and more more stories being represented on stage. Um, I think it's really cool because what was it? The one of the dance studios out in LA, some of the dance studios you see, it's like unity and diversity they have on their thing. I think it's millennium dance. Um, and I was like, I was like, oh, that's a cool phrase. Yeah. Um, and I think the more you get to know about other people, the more, more accepting and loving you become and understanding other people's points of view and whatnot. Um, so that's neat that I've definitely seen like, you know, as like a white, white straight male dude, like when I look at like plays that are being produced, it's like, there's like nothing for me out there. And I'm like, I'm just so, like I said, for ensemble work, like, I'm just like, man, I'm glad I'm a musical theater performer because some of the young white guys that are graduating, like, I'm like, who are, who just do like theatrical acting. I'm like, it's not much out there, you guys. Like, um, but I think, you know, you'll see, you know, with more diversity comes, you know, smaller, bigger quotas for other people, smaller quotas for, for that. It's just, it's just going to be a natural thing. So just finding, you know, where, where you fit in, where you fit in now. Um, so yeah, but um, in terms of, yeah, stuff to change, I wrote down some notes. He so, came prepared for this interview. Prepared. Um, in terms of other changes, I've, like a lot of other people on the podcast have talked about like non-equity access. Mm -hmm. Um for like auditions and this and that and you know the whole struggle that's kind of between you know equity and non-equity people and policies and that type of stuff but like in terms of like I forget people were talking about like oh yeah with um with like maybe getting to do more uh video auditions like to play devil's advocate to that, I think video auditions would be cool, but the amount of time that the casting directors are gonna be watching, there's gonna be so, it's almost gonna be more people and could be worse in a way. Right. And also, you know, they might not ever admit it, but it's not, but if you have a video, you're then able to watch the first five seconds. And if you don't like it or not interest, and, and maybe that does help the process. Maybe that does help the process. If they're like, your type, it's just not going to work for the vision of what the director has. Yeah. Um, and then they can move on. That's great. But like, maybe you did have like a cool little acting moment of this or that, like, you know, skip five seconds, skip. I think skip because they have so many. So you're maybe losing out on an opportunity of like, whereas in the room, you would get to like do your full 16 bars or 32 bars. You might lose that. I also like, have you found that when you're doing self tapes at home, it's like 45 minutes, <laughs> an hour, because you're doing like 10 takes. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of like getting, just being forced to just get it done, go in the room, and you walk out and you made a mistake, huh? Oh, okay, cool, whatever. 
have yeah. to move on. Or if you did really well, it's like, great, I did really well, cool, move on. I like having like it bookended in within two minutes of my time. Well, obviously like however long it takes me to wait at the audition. Um, but yeah, and okay, this might be a little controversial. I can't wait, I'm so excited. Oh no. Um, so I feel like in terms of the theater community and the industry, I think there needs to be less theater and musical theater programs in the U.S. I think there needs to be less. And I know that might make me what? seem like okay, a dream, what do you, what do you a mean by that? Um, I feel like I've been talking about this with a few, few theater people. Like, I think if you look back at the past few decades, musical, like I said, musical theater programs, I discovered that when it was like 2007, I was like, whoa, cool. You could do this. You can major in this in college. And so like, like, like University of Michigan, you know, to dial in on that again, U, U of M has been around since like um, the mid eighties. So it's only like, it's like 35 or so years old. Not that old in terms of like the, the traditional theater programs, the, the acting programs that are in the country. So with the expanse of like the musical theater programs and universes being like, oh, students want this. People want to like we should offer a program that like teaches them uh, singing, acting, and dancing. Oh, cool. And I understand the business aspect of that, but like in terms of the industry and the jobs available, we have a oversupply of actors being pumped out, like right. pumped out of the multiple programs, like from all the universities that have started programs in the, in the eighties, in the nineties, even more in the two thousands and, and conservatories that start as well. And plus we have, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, as a, as a choir guy, as a choir boy, like the stigmas of like, you know, you're, you're in choir, like choirs just for girls. Like those have, I, you know, depends on where you're at, but those have kind of like subsided and gone away. I don't know if like I was, you know, maybe it's just because I'm in the generation I grew up with this, but I feel like High School Musical and Glee and um, other things like that, like American Idol and all the talent shows on like about singing on, on, on TV, like all that had a part in changing the culture of making it like boys can sing too, guys can sing, they can be in choir. And obviously with more acceptance of like LGBT, LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. like like less stigmas of like boys singing as well. And so, and obviously like more and more pumping up dreams in, in girls as well of being able to like be stars and be on stage and whatnot that like, there's just, like I said, so much supply of actors and it's just still the same demand. So you might argue that there's even less, um, okay, sorry. The large supply <laughs> of actors, but the demand for actors is low Right. because the supply of theaters is mm. i'm screwing it up but yeah you no i know what you right. mean well it's it's like there are like so many actors and and just not enough jobs for all of yeah. them basically yeah and so like so that's why i'm like like you look at uh so i got I had the privilege of getting to go um, and study for a month in Moscow, in Moscow, Russia, at the Moscow Art Theater School in college. I can talk about that if you want to That's as well. That's really cool. I don't think I, I didn't if, even know that. You didn't, what? You didn't know that? I don't think I knew that. What? Yeah. I, I'll talk, I'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. I'll, I'll briefly That's talk about really it in a second. Cool. But, 
but I got to spend, I spent a month there back in uh, 2014 um, and learning about like, they have just a few programs, a few training programs in Russia that like, and their theaters, you're like on salary when you get hired by a theater. So you like sign like a one-year contract and they do a lot more of their shows are in repertoire, in repertory and uh, they have a repertoire of shows that they perform and they cycle them out so you might do uh show a for like this weekend and then show b the next weekend but sometimes it's even like wednesday and thursday show a then show b for a performance show c back to a back to c then back to b like and they'll do that but they'll do that like for a whole year with like five or six shows and that's and, so cool yeah and so um but but there's very few actors coming out of programs to do that to do those jobs and obviously Russia is very different from the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like in the U.K. there's like maybe similarities to that of like having less programs I could be completely wrong with that right. but but that's what I'm saying about that um, yeah I know it sound, kind of sounds like a dream killer type of a thing but I guess the solution to that would be the other change that needs to happen to the industry that's like a, a long-ended like the next 10 years 15 20 years thing that we need to start to concentrate on and i'm sure like more of the theater management side of this and like marketing sides of regional theaters and broadway are doing this but the uh my grandparents generation the greatest generation or whatever they're called um and the generation below them all the senior citizens that we that we all know are always in our audiences because the subscribership for theaters is primarily senior citizens like we need to be concentrating on the baby boomer generation the silent generation after them the uh, gen x millennials like we need to be concentrating on all the people coming up through and being able to have them become subscribers to these theaters because literally subscribers are dying off to theaters <laughs> um so that's that's a thing because otherwise if no one comes the only reason we can do theater is because people come to the theater so if no one comes to the theater then we we can't get to do these jobs that we do so that's a whole other aspect that i think a lot of times we forget about is that the connection between like also like people will sometimes complain about the shows that are produced, but it's like, if it's not a nonprofit theater, then they have to make sure that they're making money or otherwise the theater closes and bye-bye so long to the jobs for all the actors and the, the staff and um, yeah, and behind the scenes, like, so yeah, you just have to, you know, get new audiences in the door and whatnot. And um, yeah. Well, and uh, what are you? Yeah, what are some of your thoughts about that? that? Well, yeah, I mean, especially with kids, that's why children's theater is so important, and why the TYA is so important because, uh, you know, and I feel like it is our job as as performers, as artists, as theater lovers to keep theater alive and, and to and to sh you know share our passion and our love with. Of, of the art form of live performance with 
you know, the next generations that are coming up. And that's why like, I love working with kids so much. I love teaching. I love uh, doing shows with them because there, it, it reminds me so much of myself when I was a kid and, you know, and having that passion and that love of the theater. And I think somewhere along the line, you know, after I had just done so many shows back to back to back to back, I had kind of grown a little burnt out and working with, you know, these kids. And it, it reminded me of who I used to be and my love for the theater. Yeah, and like you're dreaming, dreaming. You're a dreamer. Yeah, it, it, well, it like reignited the spark again within mm -hmm. me. Yeah, I yeah, that's a good point. Like um, little like training programs in TYA for kids and exposing them to it um, mm -hmm. and understanding like even if you know even if you know which the majority of them will not pursue it as a career, but to appreciate it and be like, oh yeah, I used to do that as a kid. Like I let's go see the next national tour that goes into town. Let's go to the regional theater. That's that's like 20 minutes away to go see the show. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like with, um, to bring a whole other side, I, like I, soccer is my favorite sport. Like, and I got to play like, you know, recreational and then got more serious with soccer, but yours and my, our generation, like a lot of us, you know, our parents like, oh, sign us up for soccer. And a lot of, lot, the most kids that have ever played soccer is now in the United States. And so that's only going to build more and like someday cross my fingers us can win a world cup the only sport that we like suck at um like we'll sometimes win like a fifa world cup but like that's because i think the the interest was built as kids mm -hmm. and will build up and so i think the sim similar thing could happen with theater in terms of like um kids being exposed to theater and and live entertainment and the beauty of that. It's gonna be very interesting in terms of like the pandemic with um, so much uh, entertainment online and streaming and TikTok and everything. Like I'm very curious and how, you know, people becoming homebodies and you know how you sometimes like you get into a rut where it's like, do I wanna go out? Like, no, I just wanna stay at home. That's gonna be the struggle of like, like people watching something on Netflix or on Disney plus or whatever streaming service they're watching, like staying home and watching on there or going or having to get some clothes on get out of your pajamas, like yeah. get in the car. Oh, did you buy tickets yet? Oh, how much are the tickets? They're 40 bucks. They're 70 bucks. They're 120 bucks. Like, mm -hmm. should we go out and do it and make a night of it? Like that's going to be the struggle. Yeah. Especially with like, because I would say, you know, how, how, like we're in like obviously a golden age of like television. We kind of know it, but we don't really know it and we'll see. But like we are kind of in a golden age of television and streaming. And so it's like, that'll be an interesting battle with yeah. live entertainment, live theater. We'll see. Right. I mean, it's at this point, it's anybody's guess because it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what the world of you know live theater looks like once we are not living in the pan living in covid times anymore like yeah. what is it what is it going to look like i don't know i don't know and so yeah but i i do think that 
we as our it is our job to even if we have to find creative ways i mean hello you know that, that's we're very highly creative people and very you know hard working and motivated and we just have to find ways to keep this alive i mean i the first love of my life and it will be always be the love of my life uh was musical theater was musicals yeah. and um, I remember watching all the old movie musicals with my mom as a kid and she loved musicals and going to the theater. And, you know, I took my first dance class at age four. And from there, it was just like, I mean, it, I've been doing this for over 30 years now. And so, and I just can't even really imagine doing anything else other than performing, directing, choreographing, teaching, um, <laughs> recording this podcast about theater. Uh, it's all sort of keeping this art form very much alive. Yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what, are, what are some of your thoughts about, um, like uh, you said movie musicals, like, like current movie musicals and like, uh, you know, more and more um, musical theater being captured on film, like, I think, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think some of them are done very well. And then some of them are kind of like, hmm, those are some interesting choices that were made in, in this movie musical. Um, I, I do have it like, I kind of like the old, like I have a soft spot for the old movie musicals. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, you yeah. know, mostly like Rodgers and Hammerstein, Lerner and Lowe, stuff like that, because it reminds me, I mean, I was like, I remember we would go to the beach every summer and we would have uh, the cassette tape of Jesus Christ Superstar. And so from a young, I was like a seven-year-old, you know, singing Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, like and, and Rent was my favorite musical from, I think, like age nine to age 14. So here I am, a nine-year-old, a fourth grader, you know, singing Seasons of Love. Like. <laughs> You're like, we're not gonna pay. We're not gonna pay. And you're like, you have no clue what rent is. No. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? Like, I mean, like just, oh, like obsessed. Yeah. Like any cat, even like, and now, um, you know, and I just watched the prom on Netflix. So good. Yeah, I need to watch it. I need to watch it. Oh, you it's, it's really, really it's it's so funny and like uplifting and like such a great message. And now I'm just like listening to the original cast. Broadway cast recording of the prom and just loving it and I so when I I got to see the prom on Broadway and mm -hmm. um I happened to be in the audience the night that um I don't know who's the producer of it um mm -hmm. he produced Glee he produced American Horror Story as well <laughs> oh shoot his name Ryan Ryan yeah the producer I uh, don't know <laughs> forget what's his name um he was he was announcing um I was there the night he announced that they were going to be filming the prom and um and going to be putting it on Netflix and I was like whoa and we had like we had some crazy like A-list stars in the audience that were like there to like celebrate it was like a, a special fundraiser night um I got to be there with uh with uh Broadway for All um look at Broadway for All if you don't know what it is super cool um helping to diversify the american stage and screen yes broadway for all <laughs> by training the youth of today for tomorrow um are you still looking up this producer i right am now? i can do it produce 
You could do it. Ryan Murphy. That's what it is. Ryan Murphy. Ryan, Ryan Murphy. Murphy was there. Um, and uh, because he was producing the movie and then Casey Nicola was on stage with him as well, who, who directed the Broadway production. Um, but yeah, that was a cool night, cool theater history night. Amazing. I, I really want to go. I really want to, I will spend like 250 bucks for that, that ticket to go back to the first Broadway performance that happens this year. Yeah. It better, it better be this year. Cross my fingers. Yeah. What is it going to be? I it's going to be, I just want to be, be there in the moment. It's going to be so special. Um, <laughs> it might be Hamilton. Like if Hamilton is, is sticking their foot down to like still open on the 4th of July, like they announced, like mm -hmm. then it might be Hamilton. That's the first one. Yeah. I think obviously Hamilton made back all of its money in under a year. <laughs> so like, um, it'd be cool if the producers were willing and able to like, you know, maybe take a hit financially right. on the show. Cause they're going to have to do like 15 or 20% capacity just yeah. in terms of theater seats are just already so tight in the Broadway theaters that to have the social distancing, it's going to be like 15% capacity just to have proper social distancing. Um, but if they can do that, I feel like it'd just be a nice, like pick me up for the whole industry and just like, Ah, oh, just a self-esteem boost for for everyone to just be like, hey, Hamilton's open. The first Broadway show is back. Like, this is a good sign. We can do this. Right. So I want I would love to be there. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Me too. I uh a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could come. You could come. You're in Maryland. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not that far away. Like all your stories, like like I everything every year I would ask for my birthday. I want to see a Broadway show. <laughs> no, Sarah, you're not seeing one. You're seeing four, baby. <laughs> well, it's still true. Like, no, and, yeah, and, yeah. There's been so many years of my life where I'm like, if there's only one thing that I can do this year, like a couple of years ago, I thought the one thing that I want to do. I think this was in 2017 or 2018. I was like, I have to see. Bette Midler in Hello Dolly and I did and I got to see her and it was incredible and then I like I really want to see um the revival of Music Man with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster like yeah, I oh yeah really want to like I love the Music Man um like really want to see that it's like that's the one thing I want to do in um in 2021 <laughs> if, if it's still happening in 2021 super cool. super cool we don't know what do you have any advice for the for the youth of today, Luke. <laughs> hello, hello, youth. Do we have any youth out there? Um, I do. <laughs> After saying that, I I think they should not have as many opportunities for theater programs. <laughs> do they want to hear my advice? Yeah. Um, I know. Okay. Okay. The biggest thing I would say in term in terms of school um, is the school that you went to doesn't matter but it can a little bit, but like I said, it doesn't matter. Like it's the audition that's going to count most. Um, so basically you just want to be concerned with the training. Um, the training is the most important and, you know, you know, d based on different circumstances, like maybe you end up, maybe you're going to a school that's not your dream school, but I encourage you to like, make your education your own like you're in control of your own education you're in control of it and so if you're not getting something that you think you need 
seek it out, whether that's online, whether that's on YouTube, like, or whether that means that you need to look for maybe some special summer programs or intensives to go to, um, or to maybe like go to New York on your spring break, um, or which I definitely suggest that like use your spring break to go, whether whichever year of college it is, if, if you're doing, if you're doing um, the performing arts, like go to LA, go to Chicago, go to New York and experience it. And I did that my junior year and it helped to kind of demystify what I thought about New York. Um, I got to, it was uh, my good friend and mentor, uh, Georgia Bood, um, Broadway's Georgia Bood, I should say. Um, but uh, George lent me, he was literally my senior mentor my freshman year of college. It's so crazy. Um, so grateful for him, but he literally like lent me his keys and uh, like got to stay at his place. Um, and so I got to feel what it was like to like, I have this apartment that I'm staying at that's out in the boroughs, out in Queens and take the train into the city to go about my day. I was like, you know, trying to take some dance classes, meet with like the few people and friends and connections that I'd made, uh, meet up with some of those people and then like try and get tickets to see a Broadway show at night. And so it was like a full day and then I would come back home and it was like, that's literally what I do now. Like or what I used to do when I would like, I would have auditions during the day. Um, and then like, uh, work the dinner shift and then come home late at night. And I was out, I was out since early morning until 11 PM at night. And I was like getting used to that helped to demystify like, cool, I can do this. This is something I can do. Like I'm, I'm good with doing this commute thing and like riding the subway, getting familiar with it. And like, also if you're like, I hate this, <laughs> then it like gives you the clarity to be like, great. Yeah. I'm so glad I do this now. I will say though, I will say though, Yes, you can have that like, oh, this is exhausting. Like, I don't want to do this. A week can tell you a lot, but also a week can tell you a little. So if you do move to New York, I would say, or whatever city you move to, give it a year mm -hmm. and you can leave after that. But at least give it a year. At least give it the city that you decide to go to a year. And when you're making that decision, like you have your whole life ahead of you. You have the rest of your twenties, the rest of your thirties, like however much time, like you, this is not, it's not a life or death situation of where you move to. And you really can't make a wrong decision, right. especially when you're so young at the beginning. And I just encourage people to like, don't worry, take a breath. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry if it's going to be the right or wrong decision, try and pick the best decision. And if if after that first year of trying trying things out, giving it a good go, it doesn't feel right, then figure out your your next your next move where where might be the best best place to go or what to do next. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of my big things. Yeah. I have others as well. What do you what do you think of that? Well, I was just gonna say, you know, everything changes. That's that's the the beauty and the sadness of life is that it's okay. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I moved to New York and I was there for a year and I, but not even yeah, yeah. forget about that. Yeah. 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 Well, and cause it was so long ago and not even consecutively, like I was there for three months. Then I left to do a Christmas Carol tour. And then I came back for six months and was auditioning. Then I left again for six months to go to another contract. Then I came back. Hashtag booking, baby. <laughs> Hashtag booked in blood. Okay. 
Um, and then I realized, you know what? Um, I don't like, I don't want to live in New York full time. I like, I really enjoyed working regionally. I really enjoyed traveling. Um, and I wanted to be a full time working actor. And so I did that for a solid decade, like a solid 10 years. Um, and then I got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other story right there baby baby and and then a beautiful stork you know flew in from the and i was i was about to sing at the the opening of wicked it's green and i was like no no when sophie listens to this like years from now that is not a good way to put it i can't i think sophie's gonna be like wow sophie sophie, sophie was one of the most beautiful babies on my timeline when while she was a baby. Now she's becoming a toddler. But well, I was like, dang. <laughs> like, look at those eyes, so pretty. She, well, um, she is a little cutie and she's very funny. And I'm sure she's gonna be like, wow, mom's friends are are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, she has a lot of loving aunts and uncles all from all over the world. Yes, all over, all over. I was into, okay, for everybody listening, I don't know if anybody has, any of the other guests have said this, but you guys have to realize how much Sarah had, like the grind that she put in during like the five years that she like didn't have a home base and just like worked. When I was like started learning, because obviously Sarah's a bit older than me. And um, so she had a little bit more established career when I met her. And so to hear like, like, she's like, yeah, I don't really, I don't live in New York or Chicago or anywhere. Like I just go from gig to gig. I was like, how do you do that? And like, and she's like, but like Sarah follows up and, and he's emailing the people she's worked with in the past, sending her thank you notes, checking in when like a new season is announced, expressing her, expressing her interest in, in a certain role or this or that. And I, that's, I think that's a really good lesson that you taught me of like, of like, keep up on everybody that you meet and, you know, um, leave, leave well at all the places that you you work at because when you leave well that was an interesting I learned um, that I forgot I learned like in my first year and I, I got to work with Prather Prather Entertainment um at the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater and like realizing that like oh they'll hire you back if they like you like that's cool like no one ever said that like that's a thing you just assume like oh, you do one job and then you work at a new theater and then a brand new theater. But no, you're going to return to some of the theaters that that you like or that they like you. And like, so being able to like keep those relationships solid is super important as well. And like Sarah, Sarah's killed it with that. So like- Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's your rep. Everyone knows everybody. This is a very small business. And even though it is global and worldwide it's it's crazy the connections that you have actually it's i i was recently by called by a dear friend of mine the kevin bacon of regional theater which i just <laughs> <laughs> wait that's even better than wait you were the did people call you the queen of upta yeah okay i've i've been called the queen of upta the queen of upta and the kevin bacon of of what regional theater of regional theater i mean honestly <laughs> This podcast will, will end up being proof of that. Yeah. 
Yes, and I also think that this episode is probably going to be the longest one that we have oh, so far. How long, how long are we at right now? Oh, I think we're like almost, like we're definitely over an hour right now. Um, but oh, we, before we go, um, we, we have to talk about the cartwheel. The cartwheel. <laughs> we have to talk about it because Luke, for you, this was no big thing. Like this was no big deal to you. You're like, oh yeah, whatever. Cool. Like it's just another day in rehearsal. But to me, this, I don't, I don't know why, but we, I mean, we had just met each other. Like we were maybe. Yeah, like, this is like day two of rehearsal. Day, this is day two of Beauty and the Beast rehearsal. We are choreographer. We were doing the, um, the Gaston number. And I was playing, I was 30 years old at the time and I was a silly girl. And I thought, wow, I am like the oldest silly girl in the world. <laughs> a 30 yeah. year old silly girl. And I meet Luke and the choreographer, um, the incredible Lexi Dorsett Sharp. She said, okay, and now the, the silly girls are gonna do a cartwheel and the guys are gonna catch them. And the other two silly girls, like they had done it before. They had done it in shows. They So like no problem, they literally, they made it look so easy. Yeah, they got it pretty quick yeah so easy they like fell into this cartwheel and it looked flawless me i was like terrified and, it's, it, and i know it's because i have a lot of trust issues and i'm like oh my god like i've like, like, we, need, we need we need to clarify we need to clarify that this is one of the this is the the assisted cartwheel like yeah. like i'm not like helping sarah do her cartwheel and she puts her hands on the ground no no, no. She, she's supposed to put her shoulders and her wrap her arms around my thighs to do like the what is it is it what what is the 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 front foot where you do the cartwheel but with no unassisted that's an aerial right well, yeah an aerial is doing with no, with an, no arms. an aerial over the guy's crotch in a weird way like or you know girl or whoever is assisting you with it like it's kind of like a like a uh, <laughs> carnival uh, circus kind of trick clown trick. Um, yes. but yeah, so there's already like that whole aspect of like, okay, cool. I'm helping you get over and I need to squat down so that you, the shoulders can like land in like on my thighs. Right. So that it's like, you get you over. Right. And like mm -hmm. figuring that out, but like, mm -hmm. yeah, it basically, if you are the per it's, it's like a dance lift, you know? And so yeah, if, if it's you like, a lift. like the guy has to do like a, 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 you know, a grand plie squat, like a sturdy position and the girl like I had to like hurl like fiercely hurl my body at you wrap my arms around your thighs like my head was like in your crotch region and like kick my legs over yep. and and just and I would grab your corset while you're upside down and like in a corset that's the way over because yeah you were in a dress and it was like it's heavy clothing too it's not like yeah. just a being wig, like a corset like, a skirt a bustle like yeah yeah like that easily added five more pounds and so and like just pray and hope that i didn't kick you in the face that that you didn't drop me <laughs> which you never did no 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 you never did and i just felt so and we worked on this so much and i mean again we, this is a person like we had just met like this was my first in like our introduction to each other was like Hey Luke, oh we're doing Beauty and the Beast, and now let's do this like terrifying circus act dance lift with each other that I've never done before. Okay, cool. Like, nice to meet you. Um, we practiced every single day, I think, for two weeks. 
Um, it when we got into performances, it still terrified me every single day, but we still did it. We warmed and, it up. Yeah. 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 We did it every day. And like, I, I just felt so um proud of myself for for like doing that and and, and forgetting it and for it like actually looking pretty good i have a, a video yeah, we have the video the video of us doing it together in rehearsals that the oldest silly girl in the world <laughs> did this um cartwheel dance lift and i just have to say thank you so much for being one of the most because you just made me feel so safe and and comfortable and I was and I was so honest I was like look Luke this terrifies me so like we need to practice it a lot and you were like sure no problem like let's just practice it as many times as as you like we're gonna get it Sarah we're just gonna yeah. do it as many you got times this. you got this yeah 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 you're like we got this we got this and so you just put all of my um anxiety you know like you you eased <laughs> you calmed the anxiety and we who like an owl to to calm ourselves down when we get too excited <laughs> and i just feel so lucky that we over the years we've continued to come back into each other's lives a lot and we've continued to be able to do a lot of shows together yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I did have a record with Corey John Hafner for shows, but then you broke that. So you're my record. Most what? shows hold on. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, me feel very I mean, special. I might not be you've you've probably done way more shows with a few other people um there's a few I think. especially if you include include like creative team stuff mm -hmm. um but yeah a lot of shows a Pretty lot cool. yeah we've done a lot of shows together um do you i mean do you have a favorite theater memory or story that you would like to share before we before we say good night we should call this episode like bedtime stories with Sarah and Luke. <laughs> bedtime stories. I'm trying to, obviously we have so many memories at Little Theater, but I'm mm -hmm. trying to remember any from like Circa. Um... We've also, I think you're the only person that I have played the same, like we've played the same parts together um in the same show oh but it, but yeah it, that's it, a crazy thing yeah that's a crazy thing so we got to do um we got to do circa's production of elf in in 2017 and then two years later and and sarah played deb the receptionist and there's a cute little dude okay this is my memory yeah um <laughs> we got to like we get to do um there's a song, um, look at me, I'm wearing a suit, approximately like my dad. What's Just the like song him. called? Just like him. Just like him, yeah. Um, and so there's like a fun little duet dance break with um, with Buddy and Deb. And so we get to do that at Circa. And then two years later, we get to come back to Little Theater, which Little Theater was the whole reason that I started getting to do Buddy the Elf. So it's cool to like culminate and getting to come back um, and do the role at Little Theater, um, and then, and getting to do 
I'm me reprising my role and Sarah reprising her role and getting to do it again. It was just like the coolest thing of like in rehearsal being like, here we go. Let's back at it again. Let's do it again. Back yeah. I, and like, again. that's, I think that's actually one of my most special uh, theater memories that is like so dear to my heart um, because it, I think one of the most, no, in fact, I know one of the, the most, how do I like phrase this? I'm trying to like find the right words. The most joy I think that I've ever felt on stage was dancing with you in, in both of those productions in that number in Just Like Him, like doing our little like dance duets because it was, I mean, you're in an elf costume or no, no, you were in the suit by then uh, in that, in, and I'm it was just, like so much fun. You know what I mean? Like, so just carefree and, and we're like dancing around the office and yelling snow and like throwing paper. It was very uh, freeing and joyful and, um, one of those moments, again, like remembering when I was a kid and just did theater, you know, it wasn't a business. It was just doing it because I loved it and doing it because it was just so much fun and made me feel so alive and carefree. Yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's delightful. It's delightful. Yeah, thanks for having me on this podcast. It's, it's really fun to get to chat about all this stuff. Oh my God. Well, thank you. And um, that was that Elf of 2019. That's the last show that I performed in. Yeah, it was only just slightly over a year ago. Crazy, right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it, it is because 2020 was a long year. <laughs> yeah, very long. A very, very long year. So I can't wait to see what is the next show that we're going to get to do together. It's, I, I will not be surprised if we do one more, even if it's just one more show in our lifetime, I think at least one more will happen. And then after that, we can say hopefully one more again and again and again. Well, I thought you were going to say like one more elf again. <laughs> I mean, elf is definitely possible. Yeah. That's probably, probably the most likely possibility. Yes. So. Like, oh, we're looking for, uh, Luke, we're looking for a Deb. Do you know of anybody? I know just the person. <laughs> I know just the Deb to recommend. <laughs> and if Sophie's still young enough, so if he can be like um, a little baby in the stroller at the end. <laughs> Buddy Junior. Which we did, we did, we did a little shoot with Sophie. Yeah. Yeah. She, she dressed up as a little elf. As a little elf. And I was like holding her. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for setting the record of the longest episode of There's No People Like Show People. Oh boy, if this is maybe maybe two parts, we'll see. But however, well, yeah. I don't know. Started. But but every second. Oh yeah, if you're still listening, you can take it off of double speed mode now. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> this is officially the end of the longest episode of this yes. podcast. Um. Thank you so much, my dear, beautiful friend. I love you. Love you too. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.